0: Parish, it's Wednesday, August 27th, 2019. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and if you've ever wondered why we run our Candid Coaches series in late August, early September, uh, like right now, it's because there's almost always absolutely nothing happening in the sport of college basketball in late August slash early September. And let the record show, 2019 is no exception to that rule. Jason Gardner had to resign as IUPUI's coach because of a drinking and driving arrest. Sister Jean turned 100, and a bunch of kids set up official visits to schools. But outside of that, ain't much happened since the last time we spoke, unless I'm missing something. Norlander, am I missing something? Not a lot happening in
1: college hoops right now. But by the way, college football is back. Just a quick, quick note. Cover 3 podcast, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, Tom Fornelli. That's in full swing now. If you love our podcast, you will definitely enjoy the Cover 3 podcast. They've got these new Saturday night reaction instant analysis episodes that are going to be happening all season, so you don't have to wait until Monday for your college football podcast love. It'll be there for you Saturday night or when you wake up early on Sunday mornings. So check it out. Cover 3 podcast on Apple Podcasts. If you love us, you will enjoy them. Be sure to check them out. But that's just the college football side of things. As for college basketball, anything else we're missing, Parrish? Uh, yeah. Have you noticed all of these teams taking these precious, highly enviable foreign tours and all of the team development, the great team bonding that's been going on over the course of August? How dare you? How dare you just toss that to the side? In fact, you know what, Parish? I'm thinking. I'm thinking for next year. Maybe we call up all these coaches, see what they learned, see who was a standout on the trips, you know, see what's maybe most concerning about these trips. What do you, what do you think of this idea?
0: I'm going to go ahead and put it at 0.0% <laughs> chance that that's going to happen. Um, yeah. It seems like a waste of time from my perspective. Uh, I, I I would love to hear though. The answers are always the same. Like they're always the, a, different coaches, same answers. They, but we bonded. Somebody stood out. Somebody was really good. I really like this. Got to work on our
1: defense. Got to got to get better defensively, Parrish.
0: I'd love to hear a coach come back from a trip to Spain and be like, you know, didn't really bond. <laughs> But our guys hate each other, and it, it it was magnified as we were in Europe for ten days. But maybe we can get it worked out before you know before the season gets here. We
1: got we've got some fissures already. No, okay, hold on. Let's let's if you were really gonna get a coach on the record to honestly assess some of this stuff, you'd you'd get some. Yeah, man, I love the fact that I got a, a free trip to Italy to Spain to Australia, to the Bahamas. I'm loving that I got that out of my job. That's amazing. Had some incredible meals. One night, got probably a little too drunk, and my assistant had to wind up coaching the game the next day for the most part. Uh, but but really, uh, yeah, the guys had a good time. We took some tours. Um, got two ball hogs already. We got to deal with that. I think, you know, the third guy off the bench already hates my starting point point guard, if not the power forward in addition to that. But uh, but, hey, it was 10 days. I got some extra practices in. And for us, that's a real advantage. That would be about 60 to 70% if you got a coach actually on the record to honestly tell you what happened. But for the most part, it is a cool thing, GP. Like, it is awesome. As a college student, how can you not love having this chance? Schools obviously get to go every once every four years, and it's a good deal. But I don't think that there is any correlation to the teams Get to take these trips now, and and whatever end game they hit come come March, end of the season, stuff like that. But it's a great thing that the NCAA allows to happen once every four years, and for coaching staffs and for players, like it's definitely a great thing. Like you get to go to Italy and Lake Como and tour George Clooney's house. That's that's awesome. In fact, I often feel bad for the smaller schools that just gotta, you know, they gotta they gotta dip out to Canada because comparatively like nothing matches up to Italy or some of the better parts of Spain. But uh but yeah, anyway, the loop back around. That's largely what August is in college basketball. Um so thankfully we have our candid coaches.
0: Yeah, um I, I do feel bad for the, the schools that either choose not to go to Europe or can't afford to go to Europe because you I mean you you've been to Europe, right? Yeah. Okay. So like you go to, you know, there's some you know, I've been to Venice, some schools went to Venice, I've been to Barcelona, some schools went to Barcelona. Like those are life you know, like you know real memories that that these people, players can can take with them forever and you know considering that so many men's basketball players come from um, situations that probably did not allow them to travel to Europe as a child or a teenager, uh, I just think it's an amazing opportunity that, yes, we bang on the NCAA all the time. This is something they've gotten right and that they allow these coaching staff to take these players to to see another part of the world and experience different cultures and and, and honestly experience things they probably never imagined experiencing Given where again so many of them come from it's a it's an awesome deal and it's um, it's always cool to, to watch coaches really um, the ones whose athletic departments have the money to do so to watch coaches really take advantage of the opportunity and put together a, you know a, an all time for the ages trip
1: no doubt about it and as we uh, as we segue here I will thank I think I had four coaches who took these trips this year who either uh, got to me right before they left on the phone uh, one did it on the flight returning and a couple <laughs> a couple even did it to, i i won't i won't give up any names but there there is a head coach who had one of these trips and i thought that he had not yet left so i reached out to him he's like yeah i'm, I'm good to do it man i just i'm in the middle of like doing stuff with my with my kids here today but i'll hit you up like t- tomorrow so i let it go it's like 5 days later i'm like hey man just whenever you can just shoot shoot me back your answers he's like yeah, that sounds good. run our way to the game this morning. <laughs> I'm now in Europe. And I was like, oh, dude, like, no. So anyway... That game happens, He and that coach hit me back probably about six hours later, um, which is, like, the one thing I don't want to do is when these coaches, in fact, I try not to ask coaches that are going on these trips in most years, like, you're, you're over there, you're having a good time, you are genuinely, like, coaching up your guys, doing some stuff like that. I don't need you answering these questions, but for the uh, for the small number of coaches I did get in contact with and who did actually do this while overseas, uh, much appreciation to you. Uh, we had a, a certain variety of questions this year, as we always do, and the answers, and questions quotes that we got back certainly are always informative entertaining and I know the readers like them as well so GP we've had five go up we've got four more coming before this series concludes for this season which one do you want to hit on first let's get uh you know the responses our responses to the coaches responses and you know maybe what surprised you and me
0: well we'll just take them in the order that they were published so we decided to start with one that we figured would would get some attention, and, and it did. Um, the question was a, a pretty simple one. If you were to win a national championship, say this season, w- would you take your team to visit Donald Trump's uh, White House? And the reason this is a, a question worth asking is because no college basketball team has visited the White House since President Trump um, moved into the White House. We've had opportunities for north carolina for villanova and for virginia and they've either all turned down the opportunity or couldn't agree on a date which is like uh, the nicest way possible of saying we're we this just isn't going to happen we don't want to do it i think it's completely safe and reasonable to suggest that if any of them wanted to go to the white house they could have none of them wanted to go to the white house so they didn't i know that you know in late april tony bennett after winning a national championship at Virginia, released a statement saying, you know, given that we've got players off to the NBA, it would just be very difficult, if not impossible, to get everybody back together to, you know, go to the White House. So we're just not going to be able to make that happen. And as I pointed out at the time, like, you know, Tony's a nice man and he was trying to be as nice as he could be. But but the truth is – national championship teams that lost players to the NBA literally for decades were consistently figuring out a way to go to the White House. So I'll acknowledge maybe it's difficult, but it's certainly not impossible because, like, how did it happen every year under President Obama, under President Bush, under President Clinton? And I did think it was hilarious that later on in the summer, Virginia announced that they're going to raise their banner. I think it's maybe next month um, yes. in, their, in their arena. And somehow everybody's going to be able to get together for that. So that's evidence, undeniable evidence, that if the Virginia players all want to get back together for something, a ceremony, they can do it. They want to do it to raise the banner. They didn't want to do it to, um, you know, when it comes to going to the White House. And Villanova is another interesting example. Uh, when Jay Wright won his first national title, The team went, visited President Obama's White House, and described it as one of the greatest experiences of his life. Two years later, they win the championship. Eh, It's a different time. That's literally the quote. Jay said it's a different time, and they were not going to go. So we asked more than 100 coaches this question, and 63% of the coaches said we would not go to the White House, 37%. Said that they would, but one of the points I made, Norlander, uh, is that what I heard mostly from coaches. And you tell me if this jives with what you heard. um, There were some who said there were there were again sixty three percent said absolutely not, we would not go. There were some who said we I would personally like to go because I respect the office, but I don't think my players would want to go. Then there were others who said yes, we would go. because I respect the office, and I wouldn't turn down the opportunity, but I I, I really wouldn't be enthusiastic about it. I, I don't think I talked to a single person who was like, gung-ho, yes, I would go, my team would be fired up, and it would be the greatest experience that we've ever had. I didn't hear that at all.
1: I didn't hear that, um, and, and you mentioning Bennett. Right, Roy Williams. It's not as though, you know, those three coaches come from territories that were clearly leaning one side or the other. In the 2016 election, Pennsylvania got electoral votes for Trump, North Carolina got electoral votes for Trump, but Virginia got electoral uh, votes for Hillary Clinton. I did hear from a number of coaches who said, given where I coach, I am in Trump country, so to speak. I'm in a a, a very red part of the country. Red being obviously Republican, blue being Democrat. Um, I would feel immense pressure to go. I had a number of coaches try and cop out of this question and say, i let my team to decide and to those coaches with many of them I followed up and saying no this is we are un, we are operating under a hypothetical or no I'm just simply saying would you want to go you yourself not what your players would want what what you would want um what I found interesting uh and interestingly enough you you texted and asked me about this before the the story went up um I had an I had a multiple African American coaches tell me that they would go uh, which I actually think is a very positive sign now I had others tell me that they wouldn't but there was no one, uh, you know, streak through no matter what, you know, old coach, young coach, white coach, black coach, not all of them, at least from what I got on my uh, end of, uh, of, of surveying, all fell in line. Um, the, the difference in voting is about, I guess, what I would have expected. But I did have a number of coaches say, doesn't matter whether I agree with the president or I don't, doesn't matter. It's the office that 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 office, that building, is bigger than any one person that ever has or ever will serve uh, there. And for that alone, I would not want to rob my players of the chance to go to there. So it was fascinating to get back a number of different kinds of responses from coaches, some extremely critical, some extremely open-minded. Um, but uh, but this was one that was particularly was interesting because it was our big off-the-court question. We have at least one of these every year, and this was the one where obviously we knew a lot of the responses we were going to get back were going to be impassioned and have big reasons for them. Uh, but there you have it.
0: I um, The reason I texted you and asked you, did you have any African-American coaches say yes, is because I didn't. I didn't have a single African-American coach uh, say yes. And to your point about some coaches trying to uh, push it off on the players and say, you know, I would leave it up to my players because I heard that from coaches as well. I had some coaches who went even a step further, just refused to answer the question. They just wouldn't answer it, which I, I interpreted as they would go, but they don't want to tell me they would go. Because regardless of how you feel about the president now, um, and he has still an incredible amount of support from a certain segment of our population, um, I think you risk more by aligning yourself, particularly if you're a basketball coach, you risk more by aligning yourself with them than you risk by saying, no, I, 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 I don't support this president. I wouldn't attend the White House. In fact, I had a coach tell me, I bet you heard the same thing. I had a coach tell me I would be scared that he actually said I would personally go, but I would be scared if I took my team to the White House, given that North Carolina didn't go. Villanova didn't go. Virginia didn't go. Given that more likely than not, my team would not support the current president of the United States and the people I'm recruiting might not support, probably wouldn't support the president of the United States. Um, He said, I would be worried that it would be used against me in recruiting. Like people would negative recruit against me, call me the guy who went to Trump's White House. And he said, for that reason, I would not go. Like he really broke it down to, I'm thinking of it as practically as I can. Would this help or hurt my program when it comes to recruiting? And he was fearful that, you know, a photo op with President Trump, shaking hands, smiling, would be used against him in recruiting.
1: Yeah, I got a couple of those. I also got, and this was just something I hadn't thought about, but I guess it's more like <laughs> since it happened with uh, with Clemson and, you know, these are college coaches, it's more on the radar. I also got, like, jokes about the fast food. Like, I wouldn't... I'd go, but I wouldn't be enthused about the meal. Like I'm not a big Wendy's and Burger King fan, or whatever. Like <laughs> that was. I heard from at least like 12 to 15 coaches who like invoked all of the like. I'd be. I wouldn't be enthused about what Trump would feed us, but I. I, I definitely would like to give my my players a chance to go. That was one that I when we, when Maybe. we assembled the question. I didn't even think about that, but that that was actually like a 24-48 hour meme after Clemson went. Um. So that was probably the most common comment I got when we asked coaches
0: this question. And yet now. Now I'm just brainstorming here. If you are President Trump oh, and you're committed to trying to get people to come visit the White House after championships and you're also committed to serving fast food, maybe if you can get your hands on some of them Popeye's chicken sandwiches, they're in big demand right now. It's a, maybe it's that can a, be it, alert of the White House.
1: It's a huge game changer. This 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 Popeye's chicken sandwich thing. I I I hate the taste of chicken. I, I know that makes me like part of what two percent of the population. Um, I have never liked the taste of chicken, so this is not this is a problem I don't need to encounter. We do actually have Popeyes up here uh, in Connecticut. So do you? Uh, have you have you gone after this this thing that has taken over the world over the past week? By the way, GP, have you have you tasted the Popeyes chicken sandwich? Do you have thoughts you'd like to share?
0: I have tasted the ch- Popeyes chicken sandwich, but just for a second, the sentence. I hate the taste of chicken is the weirdest sentence I can't think I've ever it. heard a human say.
1: Can I don't <laughs> know how my brain and tongue are wired. I have never liked chicken, ever, ever. My, makes- it might be my least – no, my least favorite food is onions. But uh, among anything that would be qualified as protein or meat, it is it is chicken probably in a landslide. And I know that's weird, but I, I, I can't – the heart knows what it knows and loves what it loves and hates what it hates. And with me, it's always been chicken.
0: I don't think I've ever heard another person say those words. Like, like I can, I can understand people go, you know, chicken not my favorite thing, or fried chicken like it but unhealthy, so I don't want to eat it. The idea that I hate the taste of chicken, I really don't think I've ever heard anybody possess that opinion. I don't know what to tell you, my man. Well, so anyway, the Popeyes chicken sandwich sure. ain't gonna be
1: for me. But and we are we are veering off the track, which I always enjoy in this podcast.
0: But uh overrated think- un- overrated underrated properly rated properly rated um i went now the the problem i don't know if you saw the news from yesterday they're like legit sold out they don't have any more chicken sandwiches they they won't have them again for at least several weeks like the the attention that this release garnered and how it went viral and it became a thing to say you're doing like do you remember that game when that thing pokemon that game- came on your uh, iPhone several years back, and people were, like, walking around outside and yeah, the poke the Pokemon thing. I guess. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was, like, that was a thing. It became a thing everybody was doing, so it made people who otherwise wouldn't care go do that thing. The Popeye's Chicken Sandwich very much turned into that. It was, like, God, everybody's talking about this sandwich. Everybody's tweeting about this sandwich. Everybody's Facebooking about this sandwich. I got to go get this sandwich. So it became this phenomenon, and they're, like, legit sold out. So – they weren't equipped to handle the rush that just sort of came out of nowhere. So, like, it took me 25 minutes once I got to Popeyes just to get my hands on the sandwich. But, but I did get one, and I think it's properly rated. It's a damn good chicken sandwich. You know, right. it's it's people are obviously comparing it to the Chick Fil A sandwich. Um, I love the Chick Fil A sandwich, but I if the Popeyes sandwich is either better or very much worthy of being in the conversation with the Chick-fil-A uh, chicken sandwich. It is – I'll go with properly rated. All
1: right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, that's all I got on the Trump question. You want to move on <laughs> to uh, whatever's number two? So the
0: second question we published, and this is one we do every year, and it was uh, who was the best head coaching hire uh, this year? And so I went and and tweeted this and put it on Facebook, and immediately because of where, my, uh, because of where I live, I had multiple fans going – why isn't Penny Hardaway on this list? Because he was hired last year, and we're talking about this year. <laughs> and, I mean, it's just incredible. Like, like people, people are just wired to get mad. Nobody's disrespecting anybody. <laughs> that was last year. Um, who was the best head coaching hire this year? Um, and Fred Hoiberg was the leading vote-getter, 30% of the vote, followed by Buzz Williams, 27% of the vote, followed by Mick Cronin, 13% of the vote. Is that the order you thought we'd see?
1: Um, I thought Hoiberg would win. I thought Buzz would be second. I think I thought Musselman would be third. I'll tell you this. So, I'd say with my first, like, 40 coaches I reached out to, Hoiberg had, like, 25 votes. So early on, and that's what's interesting, is occasionally you get a question. It's just it's just a matter of who you get first. But early on, I'm thinking this is going to be 70% Hoiberg, and it's going to be an absolute runaway. Didn't wind up being that. In fact, I want to say something like 8 of my final 10 went to buzz, so he severely closed the gap on my end of the voting. Um, don't know how's you, how yours played on, on your end, but I did think Hoiberg would win. I think he is the... Uh, obvious choice because even though he failed with the Bulls, the way that he was able to step in at Iowa State after you famously, infamously, and wrongly uh, denigrated him as a coach back seven, eight years ago before he got that job. We've covered that on the podcast plenty. Um, he obviously did a great job at Iowa State using methods that at the time were innovative, primarily bringing in transfers, graduate transfers, or true traditional sit-out transfers, and made Iowa State you know, top two, top three in the Big 12 almost annually. So now he goes to Nebraska. It's It feels like a very natural geographic fit and programmatic fit as well. So I think that's why. But if you look at what Buzz Williams has done, I uh, had a few coaches say it's kind of undeniable that what he did at Marquette and then what he did at Virginia Tech, now you set him up in Texas A&M, a more natural home Area for him, a lot of good resources. To me, he's the biggest. Uh, he's the biggest winner overall. So Hoyberg and Williams, and then some real separation to Mick Cronin at thirteen. And he, we, when we came out with this, I think it was within 48 hours, Cronin actually landed Dacian Nix who we had talked about on this podcast because I wrote a pre uh, wrote a feature about him while in Colorado Springs. Station Nix will probably be a top 10, if not top 5, point guard in college basketball a year from now. Huge get for Cronin as he tries to get that going at UCLA, so uh, a rightful rightful third-place vote there. But uh, but those three I, I clearly got the most, and then you got to the uh, Nate Oates, Mike Young, Musselman. Shout-out to Lenny Acuff at Lipscomb. Don't know anything about him, but he had a few guys, established voices even, that uh, put some votes in for him as well. But... I think Hoiberg was the expected answer, and I do think, even by narrow margins, GP. I think that he is the right answer over Buzz.
0: Um, I figured it would be Hoiberg, Buzz in some order at the top, and then a drop off, and that is what it was. To your point about Mick, the you know the, that coaching search was all over the place, but and I think I wrote this because I wrote this question. Um, I I wrote the 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 post that yeah. that goes along with it. Um, like if you take Mick Cronin, who has been one of the most consistent winners in basketball for nearly a decade by getting, you know, unheralded prospects for the most part. I mean, I know he got Lance Stevenson under, you know, a set of circumstances, but the, the, the his best teams at Cincinnati have largely been filled with, you know, three-star guys. And if you now give him a job where basically anybody can get five-star guys, um, you know, Ooh, watch out i mean he's undeniably a, a great basketball coach and it it you know I think it was a day before we published the answer to this um maybe it was certainly very close Daan Nix commence I mean he just gets a five star point guard boom just like that so if Mick Cronin is going to be able to recruit at a high level and then if his coaching style is going to be able to to work with those high-level guys, this could be, and there's a lot of examples throughout college basketball history of this, a search that was all over the place, totally mishandled, but somehow, some way, you landed on, on on the right guy. Um, let me ask you this. Okay. Who do you think is the safer bet to win at a relevant level? Fred Hoiberg at Nebraska. Like What's interesting is Mick's probably set up to win bigger than both simply because he's got the UCLA UCLA job. But who is the safer bet to win at a relevant level, Fred at Nebraska or Buzz at A&M?
1: Great question. I would say Buzz because he has a longer history of being more successful. Marquette has not gotten back to the level that it was at under him, under Wojciechowski. This will be a big year for uh, for Mar- Marquette forthcoming. Buzz Williams did things that were unprecedented in the history of Virginia Tech's program. I know I wrote about it last season. I'm almost positive we talked about it on at least one of our podcasts. And so when you have that evidence behind him now, I think when he steps into A&M, in fact, as we record this earlier today, like I think he just announced his full staff, which is like... <laughs> He got hired like five months ago he just finally fully announced everyone that's on staff but Buzz is actually known for having like more support staff than anyone than any head coach in college basketball like the amount of people that he wants in and around his program is two to three times as much as most other normal programs so he has finally uh, got everyone on board that he wants to have on board there I did hear from a couple of coaches who thought who basically who didn't give me buzz as their number one but didn't discredit his chances would have had him second or third and said uh Buzz is really good at what he does, but the way that he has left both Marquette and Virginia Tech um, has not sat well, sometimes with people at those respective universities, sometimes with just other coaches in the business. He has... He has burned a couple people here or there, and that's not me disparaging Buzz. It's literally the words of other coaches who have never even coached or recruit against him, so they're more going off of what they had heard. But Buzz Williams, for the guys who voted for him, like there were some emphatic, like, it is Buzz, and I don't think it's that close for a second. Not, not Fred, not Musselman at Arkansas. They just think that going back to Texas, where he will be a natural fit, and this should be his... In theory, the job that if he's successful at, he stays at until he he wants to retire. And if that winds up being the case, like he could be there two decades. I think he is more likely than Fred Hoiberg just because he's consistently been in it. And very rarely do we have a Buzz Williams team that isn't, you know, good, if not nationally relevant and obviously making the NCAA tournament.
0: I agree with you. The answer, if I would have been asked this question, I would have answered Buzz. And I say this with an immense amount of respect for Fred and and Mick, and Nate Oates, and the other guys that got uh, a lot of votes. Um, You're exactly right. My Fred Hoiberg got hired at Iowa State Column is one of my all-time freezing cold takes. I could not have been more wrong. I thought it was gimmicky. Like, okay, we just lost a coach. Now let's go hire our most famous alum, who's literally never coached basketball before. It just seemed um, desperate. And it was obviously a a slam dunk. I mean, it could not have worked out better. And so... uh, I've acknowledged that mistake a million times a long time ago. Um, I have an immense amount of respect that's Fred as a as a college basketball co- coach. Same thing for Mick, Nate, like I said. But to me, like if we're going best head coaching hire, that means the guy who's going to, like, ju- is basically a can't miss. Like there's just no way this doesn't work. I can't imagine it. I mean, I don't want to say there's no way. I guess there's a million different ways, right? But it is hard to envision a scenario well, Buzz Williams isn't going to win at Texas A&M. I mean, my God, when you've just done what he did at Virginia Tech, three straight NCAA tournaments, like push Duke to the wire in the NCAA tournament, no coach in Virginia Tech history ever been to three straight NCAA tournaments. Literally unprecedented stuff. You combine that with what he did at Marquette, now you put him back in his comfort zone and give him all of the resources that Texas A&M has, which is unlimited resources. It, again, never say never, but, boy, its if I had to bet on somebody – I bet on him.
1: Yeah, and it wound up being that um that that Buzz and Hoyberg were the the two coaches who like People expected Nebraska to open, and when that happened, Hoyberg would be the guy that would go there. That wound up happening. And then worst-kept secret in the sport for months was Buzz Williams would leave Virginia Tech to Texas A&M if and when that opened. That wound up being the case. I don't know if that had direct influence on the way that other coaches voted because that kind of stuff was buzzed about, pun unintended truly there, but but I think it could have been a factor as well in those two guys being the leading vote-getters. And we've got even more interesting stuff to get to with all these candid coaches' questions and responses. But first, check it out. You smell that? Mm. Football season is back. Feels terrific. College football is here. The NFL is a week away. And so now is the time to join Sportsline. You want to go to sportsline.com backslash join. Use my name, Norlander, all capital letters, promo code Norlander at sportsline.com backslash join. You get your first month for $1. And there are three different kinds of options that you can choose to sign up with. Feel free to at me. If you want, you can DM me, email me if you want to know any more kind of information. But the Sportsline experts are terrific. There's good data. You, If you are interested in wagering daily fantasy sports, regular fantasy sports, there is a treasure trove of data and analysts that will help you decide what you want to do, where, when, and how. Again, sportsline.com backslash join promo code NORLANDER now.
0: Uh, the next question that we published was which school is the most underrated job in college basketball? And the leading vote getter was 7% of the vote. So our answers were all over the place on this one. Uh, but Gonzaga was the leading vote getter, 7%, followed by Dayton at 6%. Memphis and Washington both got 5%. Did that surprise you?
1: Gonzaga surprised me because I thought it would have been held. I got. I can't remember if I got one. The Gonzaga stuff was more on your end than mine. Dayton had the most on mine. I, Gonzaga, I guess because the league dominance uh, can't be overlooked. um, The way that see, I think some coaches must have voted for the way that Mark Few is now able to schedule, gets into the tournament every single year. I think you noted the way that. in sharing the story on Twitter, um, the way that the program is now funded in relation to the rest of the league, which is absolutely valid. When I heard about Memphis, Washington, Dayton, and I heard from a lot of schools, uh, but those three in particular, Dayton was very much NCAA tournaments in the building every year. I don't know how much of a selling point that is, but a lot of coaches mentioned it to me. Uh, the fan base being passionate, big boy in the league, uh, a very a relatively solid history across the decades. Um Dayton, I, I would buy Dayton as a like top five underrated job. Of course, inherently with a question like this, the more votes you get, the less underrated you will subsequently become. Uh, Washington, to me, would probably have been my pick heading in just because Seattle tends to produce legitimate talent on an almost annual basis in a league where you have the opportunity to really go in and be a top three program if you can get it done just right. A great city, great location. Washington, to me, would have been my answer if we had talked about this before um, or just use it as a discussion point before we actually asked all the coaches there. But yes, GP, we had never had so many different kinds of responses. Uh, to me, it was. Uh it was just as widespread as anything, and I think that is a function of the fact that we polled so many coaches in so many leagues with so many different experiences. A lot of coaches asked, well, how am I defining underrated? And I said, it's really kind of up to you, whether that's how the public views it from the outside looking in, whether you think it's how the profession views it, whether it's something as simple as that school has more access to good players or has more backing from its athletic department or boosters than people realize. And so I think that's why. I mean, it's it's wild to me. I disagree with the assessment but it's wild to me that you could have coaches throwing out the University of Vermont which is a great small league school and Burlington is honestly a top five small town small college campus in America I think but Vermont is not nearly on the on the level of say a Washington a Harvard I kind of get that case as well or a Marquette so it was fascinating to see how many different kinds of schools we got I'll say this GP before I lob it back to you of the ones that finished, you know, I, I had to cut it off. So I cut it off after 4%. To me, the most surprising one of all of them that, that made the cut, I think, was Vanderbilt because it doesn't have a lot of tradition. It's in a great city, but compared to the rest of the league and how it traditionally competes in basketball, um, I don't really see Vanderbilt as underrated, if anything. Popeye's chicken sandwich, overrated, properly rated, underrated. I'd say Vanderbilt's probably properly rated. So that was the one that surprised me most of the, you know, 10 to 12 finalists that we had.
0: Uh, On Vanderbilt, I had one coach say, you should have an advantage, something like this. You should should have an advantage recruiting, you know, the smarter kids because it's an incredible university. And in the SEC i say this with all you know i live in the middle of the sec so like i say this with all due respect like there's some not great towns to live in you know these are m- men who are multimillionaires living in some cases in not great towns and yet vanderbilt is the one place in the sec where you get to live in an amazing city and also coach in the sec like nashville is is you know people are now moving there famous people wealthy people from all over um, because they want to live in Nashville or the suburbs of Nashville. So that was the argument I at least heard from one coach. Like, um, you're, you're at an SEC school, a private school that's got tons of resources, and you get to live in a real city. It's a great place. Like, if you are – honestly, I know this is one of the reasons Bryce Drew took the job. I, a few years ago, Bryce Drew was – I don't know if he was offered, but, like, could have probably had the Mississippi State job, like, before Ben got it. And um, – and he was just like, you know, do I really want to live in Starkville, Mississippi? Is that where I want to raise my family? And I think he, he landed on the I don't know about that uh, side of things and decided to be patient. And then uh, when Vanderbilt presents itself as an opportunity, what an amazing place to be able to raise your family. Now, didn't go so well, obviously, um, but that was the thought process behind it, um, I know. I wasn't surprised by Gonzaga um, because it, here's what one coach told me. He said uh, he, he answered Gonzaga, and I said, why do you think Gonzaga is the most underrated job in the country? He said, because it might be the best job in the country, and nobody thinks it is. He goes, it might be a top five job in the country. Nobody ever speaks about it that way. Hmm. He said, but what they've been able to do there in the past 20, 25 years is, it might be less, it's about 20 years, past 20 years. They've, it, it is a big basketball brand now. Everybody knows Gonzaga. Like Jimmy Kimmel is doing week-long bits on Gonzaga during the NCAA tournament. It is a nationally known brand, and that allows them to get into events that nobody else in their league could ever get into. They can go be in Maui. They can go do the Jimmy V. They can get home-and-homes with other high-major programs that, that schools from their league can't get. So they have all of these inherent advantages over everybody else in their league. They can schedule unlike anybody else. They can recruit unlike anybody else. Their facilities are better than everybody else's. Their the way they travel is better than everybody the way everybody else in their league travels. And and it was sort of bottom line this way. The gap between Gonzaga and everybody else in its league is a bigger gap than any other school in any other league in the country like even if you want to say kentucky is the best job in the sec the gap between kentucky and whatever you think is next is not as big as the gap between gonzaga and everybody else in the west coast conference the if you think if you say duke or north carolina either one best job in the acc the gap between them and louisville or virginia is not as far as the gap between gonzaga and everybody else, and so you're set up to win every year, and that means you're set up to go to the NCAA tournament every year. And it's no accident that Mark Few has gone to the NCAA tournament every year. I had one coach say, "Mark," he said, "I won't be surprised if Mark Few retires someday without ever missing the NCAA tournament, which is incredible." Yeah. And so the the consensus I got from coaches is that is a job. Like there's a, I had one coach say this. There's a reason, like Tommy Lloyd, just just waiting it out. Mm-hmm. Tommy's just gonna sit, you know. He's associate head coach at Gonzaga. Just wait it out, because if you if you go take one of these mid major jobs that he's been offered or could get, then you gotta do well there to maybe get a high major job that probably ain't as good as the job you're gonna get if you just wait it out and and let Mark retire and you slide one chair over. And so uh, when it was explained to me, it. I mean, it made sense to me on the very surface level, but to hear coaches break it down, really, I think Gonzaga might be my answer as well.
1: Um, All right. Marquette getting votes made a lot of sense to me because of um, the amount of funding Marquette comparatively to other schools that you might put in its general area. Uh, coaches V Marquette is an extremely good job, top 25 job in America. I was not surprised by Marquette getting votes. And then Houston, which has been underperforming over the past two decades with the exception of the past few years, got votes because it's in a great location in terms of talent, not, not just Texas, but that city itself. And then the program, the university have put in humongous renovations. They've got a really good practice facility. They went from one of the worst arenas in college basketball to now a much, much better setup with the Fertitta Center. Uh, Kelvin Sampson has that role so I thought Houston was a very, very interesting uh, answer as well. Now, as for the jobs that got votes, Gonzaga, Dayton, the most votes, Gonzaga, Dayton, Memphis, Washington, Harvard, Houston, Marquette, Murray State, Oregon, Vanderbilt, and Wichita State, um, very few of those w- also apply, which I thought was interesting. I love that these ran, we ran these questions back-to-back, GP, of who is the best league top to bottom in terms of coaching talent overall because Gonzaga didn't apply. Dayton, Memphis, Washington, Harvard, Houston, Marquette. Big East didn't get a lot of votes. Murray State, Oregon. Vanderbilt is the first one really in the SEC which got some votes but none of the schools we listed are actually part of the conferences that got the top three four votes.
0: And the ACC was the leading vote getter there with 39 percent of the votes um, when the question was, which league has the best stable of coaches? That's what we're talking about, right? Yes, yes. Uh, ACC, 39%. Big 12, second, with 23%. SEC, third, with 19%, followed by the Big 10, 16%. Big East, 2%. Missouri Valley Conference got 1%. That means the Pac-12 uh, got zero votes. And I know that... The ACC got the majority of votes from the coaches you talked to. I think on my end, the SEC was the leading vote-getter.
1: Yeah. Now, that was not a function of you, where you live, hitting more SEC-related coaches than anyone else, right? That was just more, it just happened to be the crop that you got, and those were the answers you got, right? Yeah.
0: Coach, who's a coach in the northeastern part of the United States, head coach, he was like, I think it's the SEC and not even close. And I think you can make a reasonable argument for the SEC, and it would be based on this. You go look at the coaches they've brought in in recent years, you know, whether it's um, Eric Musselman or Buzz Williams or. Um, uh, I'm looking to Tom Crean, mm-hmm. uh, Nate Oates. I, I wrote this because I believe, I believe it's true. You correct me if I'm wrong. Um, six, By the way, six of the 14 have coached in the Final Four. Six of the 14 coaches. So nearly half. And if you go through it right now, literally every coach in the league has already proven himself at this level or another level to be an incredible winner, like an incredible coach, or an incredible recruiter, or both. I don't think there's an exception to that statement in the SEC right now. There's, and and I, I wrote this like you can rank the SEC coaches in any order, one through fourteen, but like you're going to get to eleven and go, my god, this guy's really good, and he's eleventh. Like it, I think the SEC probably has the the least amount. of, of weak or questionable coaches of maybe any league in college basketball right now?
1: I think I would go Big 12, but before I do Big 12, I'll touch on the ACC real quick. The ACC won. Now, we asked from top to bottom. So when I presented this question to coaches, I said, you need to put as much emphasis on the top three coaches in the league as you do on the bottom three. And so the coaches that did not vote for the ACC specifically pointed out Again, this is no offense to these coaches, but they said, you know, Jim Christian hasn't gotten it done yet at Boston College. Danny Manning hasn't gotten done at Wake Forest. Jeff Capel has been a good coach. We'll see how he elevates the Pittsburgh program at this point. And uh, it's interesting. Mike Young, actually, a lot of guys said, if Mike Young is your third worst coach in your league, then you are the you are by far the best. But others said, not sure of him yet, not sure at passing. So from top to bottom... You know, ACC would clearly win it based on the top half of the coaches, but the Big 12, the Big 12's roster of coaches GP is all right. Let's run, let's let's run down the roster right now. Okay, Bob Huggins been to the Final Four multiple times. Uh, Jamie Dixon has not been to the Final Four, but made uh, elite eight runs, and his history of turning of, of consistency at the Pittsburgh program and now turning around the TCU program self-evident. Long Kruger. Been to the Final Four. Shaka Smart. Been to the Final Four. Steve Prohm has not been to the Final Four, but also was very good at Murray State, including coaching that team to a 31-2 record and has reached the NCAA Tournament three times in four years at Iowa State. You've got Bill Self. Speaks for itself. Scott Drew, not yet been to a Final Four, been to multiple Elite Eights. Chris Beard, just went to the National Championship game. Bruce Weber, been to a National Championship game. And then the only other one is Mike Boynton, who is in year three as a head coach there. So to me, the Big 12 is, is the... Is the, vote, is the conference that I would have voted for. Now, it's helped by the fact that it just does not have as many programs as the Big Ten or the ACC. The SEC is definitely compelling, and I got a, a few votes for the SEC that were staunchly in favor of what they have because of how much they've overhauled it. Uh, but this one was, was pretty fascinating, and I thought the ACC would win but I do think that the other leagues have a, uh, have a firm shot. And if line had not left Michigan, I think we might have gotten just a few more Big Ten votes. One coach in particular said um, if, if they still had him there, I would have voted for them. But since not, I'm going to break the tie and I'll vote for the ACC over the Big Ten.
0: Yeah. So in the Big 12, I think it's six of the 10 coaches. So 60% have coached in a final four either at their current school or a former school. Some at both at two different schools, like Hugs is two different schools. Lon Kruger is two different schools. So it's six out of 10 in the Big 12 been to a final four as opposed to six out of 14 in the SEC. And yet the leading vote getter was the ACC and Best I can tell, the reason it was is because even though we did stress top to bottom, the bottom matters as well, um, the argument is that the top is just so strong. You know, you've got three, you know, Hall of Famers. There's only five active Hall of Fame coaches um, in college basketball right now, and three of the five coaching the ACC it's obviously Mike Krzyzewski who is also widely recognized as the goat of college basketball coaching winning as coach of all time on the men's side uh, Roy Williams who has three national titles and um, Jim Boeheim who is also in the Hall of Fame with a national title so you've got the three of the five Hall of Famers you've got a total of 10 national championships between Kay Roy Jim and Tony Bennett and even though I think the ACC is the most questionable at the bottom in terms of of coaching talent, and and we should point out, like when we say que- it's only questionable relative to like you know the CC bottom or right. the Big Twelve bottom. Like if you become an ACC head coach, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Like you're you're amazing at your job if you somehow figure out a way to have a career that lands you um, in, in, a, in a position where you're a head coach at an ACC school. So uh, nobody should be slighted. I hope nobody is. But um, in terms of – I like the bottom of the Big 12, whatever it is, better than the bottom of the ACC. I like the bottom of the SEC, whatever it is, better than I like the bottom of the ACC. But the top of the ACC is so strong that that's got to be the explanation for it being the leading vote-getter.
1: Uh, agreed. Um All right, last question was, which ran today as we record this podcast, who is the best in-game coach uh, or the hardest coach to prepare for? Basically, try and remove the talent from the situation, the guys that they recruit. This is more about uh, the kind of stuff that these coaches run and how good they are at seeing what you've done in a game and then adapting to it. Um, I had some coaches say, okay, so are we talking like, you know, first half gets played out, coming out of halftime, after the first media timeout, what they are doing to us that, you know, we tried to prepare for or those kind of throw something. I said, yeah, that's actually kind of exactly what I'm going for there. I was surprised by the winner. GP, you want to reveal who it was?
0: Tom Izzo, 16% of the vote was the winner, followed by Tony Bennett with 14% of the vote. Vote and Chris Beard with eleven percent of the vote. Um, my leading vote getter was actually Chris Beard, but when we compiled all of the votes, mine and yours, Tom Izzo comes out on top. Honestly, I think we messed this one up. I wish that we would have asked it in a different way, because the question as presented, "Who is the best in-game coach or hardest coach to prepare for?" After we were too far down the line, like I'd already sent out, you know, thirty emails. Yeah. Um, I had multiple coaches say. Well, those are two different things.
1: I had like, a few coaches. I had a few coaches give me that as well. Yes,
0: right. Like um, he said, okay, I'll, I'll tell you my the best in game coach for my money. Uh, I'll go with Chris Beard. Hardest coach to prepare for. I'll go with Bob McKillop. So, what do you? What answer do you want? So, I think we. I don't think we asked the question the best way we could have asked the question. I wish we could do that one again.
1: So do I. Um, Izzo. Uh, Izzo 16 percent. Yeah, beating Tony Bennett by two percentage points. Um, some coaches, when I told them, you know, some you ask these questions when you get far enough down the line, all right, who's winning this after the answer? I said, you know, I said, I- Izzo's in a tight race uh, right now with, with Bennett and Beard. Um, I said, Izzo, really? He's like, he's he's a really, really good coach, but I don't feel as though um, in the midst of a game, like, he's not adapting the stuff the same way that maybe that t- that Tony Bennett might or, or Mark Few might or Matt Painter might, uh, but... Izzo is the coach that has been to more Final Fours than any other coach over the past two decades. Um, I do think that the Final Four had a real influence on voting here. I mean, Izzo, Bennett, and Beard were just in the most recent one. Obviously, Bennett and Beard coaching in the National Championship game. Uh, Kelvin Sampson got 4% of the vote. Houston's come on strong as of late, and he's been a good coach over the years. Mark Few just made a National Championship game. Mike Krzyzewski, obviously, goes without saying. And even Matt Painter's coming off his first Elite Eight. Um, that he's ever been to as a coach, so I think th- now I don't think recency bias affected this poll in a major way. GP, and by the way, I, th- I had it in my story. I think we had 34 combined different coaches receive a vote for this. Obviously, a testament to the profession. But this was the one where I was just interested to hear, like some coaches would kind of lay out why their pick was their pick and say, okay, we played this. It's kind of stuff that, I one, it's too long to put in a quote, and two, it would have been too uh, transparent in terms of what coach it might have been because we just could have gone back and said, okay, so this coach said he played Michigan State last year when they did this. But they they would lay out like, okay, so we played them last year, and here's the situation. And coaches would really break down why they were giving me the coaches that they were. It was uh, it's fascinating when you have those kinds of conversation it reminds you for as much as we love the game cover the game and understand it to a certain level when you have coaches kind of get in there getting their stuff and trying to explain it to you that's the stuff I love where they're really going like next level to try and show you or explain to you tell you this is why this guy is so good because we threw a B and at a and B at him and he came out and did C with us and we looked at the tape from the previous 10 games there was no evidence whatsoever that this is what they were gonna do so uh, a couple guys who gave Jamie Izzo said some of the stuff that he does is actually more subtle than people might even realize. Um, I was intrigued by that. And then I'll lob it back to you with a local guy. Kermit Davis receiving 5% of this vote. I think we got equal votes for him on both of our uh, both of the subset of coaches we polled. is a really good sign for him because obviously they were good at Middle Tennessee State for a while. But he's got the ability at Ole Miss to turn it around. And he is the one coach who hasn't had recent big-time NCAA tournament success who nonetheless still broke through.
0: You know, these are the questions I like most. Again, I wish we would have asked this one slightly differently. uh, But still, I'm always interested in, you know, what coaches think of other coaches. Like, uh, who are the guys that other coaches, um, you know, really respect and really are impressed by and really try to learn from? Um, Because I, I think often fans and sometimes media members as well. Um, you usually equate best with winning. It's like who wins the most? That guy must be the best. Those guys must be the best. And often they are, but sometimes guys win at a certain level because, yeah, they're, they're good, but uh, they, they also just have incredible advantages given the job that they have. Uh, the best quote, coaches aren't always the guys who are um, winning the most games. And so anytime we ask a question rooted in anything like this, I'm always interested in the answers because it really shows um, – who coaches respect, like who they want to sit down with and maybe uh, pick a brain. Like when they watch film, they go, ooh, man, that that was a subtle adjustment that changed that basketball game. And so um, to see Tom Izzo, Tony Bennett, Chris Beard, you know, be the top three vote-getters, uh, uh, you know, not surprising to me because those three guys are. You and I talk to basketball coaches all the time. Like those three guys are uh, widely respected in their profession as being very, very good Basketball coaches—they're all different. They all coach in different ways, but they are all super respected, and so should be unsurprising that um, that's reflected in the answers to to that question. So that's our candid coaches series so far. Five questions asked, five questions answered. I think we've got four more left. So keep checking those out at cbsports.com and obviously, shouts to Devin Downey, shouts to Chester, South Carolina, shouts to Terry MF and Teagle—he's a legend. Shouts to Larnell, and please you haven't done it already, go subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast. Rate it favorably. Five stars, nice comments. That's all I've ever asked from you. You do that. I'm going to talk to you again next week. Till then, take care.